Stay tuned. East Side Radio, 89.7 FM. Hello and welcome to Breaking Waves. I'm Riley. And I'm John Mark. Over the course of the next three shows, with us back in the saddle, we're going to be delving into the topic of outsiders. Aliens, strangers, people from other places. Strangers in strange lands. Uh, The clip that we started with was uh, from a Bugs Bunny cartoon called The Hair Raising Hair. And it features this big red monster who, although he might appear to be weird and scary looking, he has some fears of his own. So let's hear the rest of it. Hey, wait a minute, Dracula. Look, did you ever have the feeling you're being watched? That the eyes of strange, eerie things are upon you? Look, out there in the audience. People! Yeah, Riley, people. They can be terrifying. People can be the real monsters. But I guess it just shows you within a cartoon like that, sometimes the thing that you're scared of can be just as scared of you. Everybody could be an outsider to somebody else. Absolutely. And we're going to have a look at um, the broader implications of this concept of outsiders and being an outsider. Um, That's right. We're going to relate it in with uh, personal childhood stories initially, and then we're going to explore uh, some of the fictional representations, mythological, and how it's how outsiders are regarded within culture as well. Because um, I, I would argue within stories that um, all the stories of the heroes and the monsters—they're all stories that have that represent this idea of an outsider or outsiders indeed they're not always baddies sometimes they're the goodies that's right so let's hear some music because people are strange people are strange when you're a stranger faces look ugly when you're alone women seem wicked when you're unwanted, streets are uneven When you're down, when you're strange Faces come out of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name When you're strange When you're strange When you're strange People are strange when you're a stranger, faces look ugly. When you're alone, women seem wicked. When you're unwanted, streets are uneven. When you're down. When you're strange, no one remembers 
When you're strange, when you're strange, when you're strange, all right, yeah. When you're That was The Doors with People Are Strange. So, Riley, ever felt like an outsider? Uh, Well, I think that when I was a kid, I felt like I was an outsider, but I was mostly pretty contented within that. I didn't like other children very much when I was a young kid. I was an only child uh, to start with, and I was perfectly happy just entertaining myself imagining things and looking at picture books and um, I didn't want to engage all that much. Um, But then as I got older, I developed more social skills. I had uh, a baby brother who really uh, changed things for me because I felt quite loyal to, to him. And so going forward... In my school life, I still felt like an outsider, but I managed to find a social niche for myself that allowed me to connect and have a unique role within the school, that of sort of a a hybrid of a teacher's pet and a class clown rolled into one. So it sort of defied neat categorization, but within that um, of doing my own thing, I still felt like an outsider, but I was happy for the most part. What about within your family tribe? Did you ever feel like an outsider within your own family? Um, As I got older, I did because I think the feeling of being an outsider when I was younger was something that I didn't even question because... I had an awareness that everyone was experiencing a different kind of reality. Mum and Dad didn't know what it was like looking through my eyes and and I wouldn't know what life was like looking through their eyes. But as I got a bit older and I became aware of all these different uh, diagnoses that I have, the ADD and all that kind of stuff, then I started to think about the outsider thing more and um, the family perception and the school perception and how those things overlap. How young were you when you got diagnosed? Um, oh, well, there was a number of different diagnoses, and I couldn't tell you the exact ages of them, but it would have been starting to roll in probably from the age of four and up, various different things. Wow. That's young. Is it? Yeah, four's young. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't diagnosed with anything when I was four. Mm. Well, it was a different time... As well. Indeed. A very different time. Yeah. So what about you, John? Did you feel like an outsider as a kid? Absolutely. Uh, feelings of alienation I can relate to uh, going way back. Um, as, as far as being a very, very little kid, uh, 
yeah, I think I even questioned whether I fitted into my own family. Uh, but certainly when I got a bit older and I uh, started going to school, I, um, I think I had certain difficulties. And it, looking back on it now, I think I, I f- might fit into the autism spectrum perhaps, even though I wasn't diagnosed as anything, as having anything. And as you said, um, it was a different time back then. And there weren't so many, um, uh, I think they've come up with a lot of conditions in, in the last 20 or 30 mm. years that uh, that weren't, it didn't even exist when I was a kid. But uh, I, um, I struggled a lot when I got to school. Um, I can remember from the earliest time, I didn't like school very much. I didn't um, find it easy to, uh, integrating with other kids and I tended to gravitate towards uh, other uh, people who felt the same I guess mm. did you did that ever happen with you um, no not especially I preferred um, to be alone uh, until I started developing more social skills so um, yeah, me too. I mean, I, I used to hide under the steps. I can remember in, um, I think it might have even been preschool, I can remember being under the steps and looking out watching the other kids play. And I think mm. uh, wishing that I could go out there and play with them, but I just didn't feel like I could. That's interesting. I didn't have that wish uh, at that age. It's like in, I didn't know what I was missing out on in a sense. Um but uh, so what about for people? So you said that you gravitated towards people who were perhaps uh, somewhat outsiders as well. Yeah, so. you bet. I remember this one guy and he, he, he this is in uh, primary school and he, he had, um, I think his, his parents were part of a particular religious uh, sect or denomination where they don't cut their hair. And this guy, although long hair wasn't uncommon, he, he had his hair in a bun and it had ladies hairpins in his hair so and, and i remember him quite clearly as being someone who appeared to be strange like mm. somewhere from some other world that mm. i didn't understand but yeah. i used to sit with that guy at lunchtime um i used to sit with this group of other estranged uh kids um when i ate my lunch which was weird because um that was our our um our bond really was the fact that we weren't uh, a part of the mm. other um, social cliques, I guess, mm, mm. that that tend to form at school. Um, so, what about your as you grew up and in your teens and so forth? Did you find other examples of outsider type people in your life? Well, I um, I had a couple of interests, which kind of. Um, I was into motorbikes and I raced motorbikes. So I think a, a common interest kind of brought me together with other people um, and, and helped me to um, socialise a bit. The, the other thing about um, my situation at school is that I couldn't see very well and I wasn't uh, actually diagnosed by a doctor as be, having myopia or nearsightedness till I was uh, 14. So I didn't get any glasses till then. Up until that point... Um, I think it was just generally believed that I wasn't very clever because <laughs> because I couldn't see the blackboard and I tended not to participate and be ba- kind of bad um, behaved to a degree in school. And it was th- literally because I couldn't see what was mm. going on. Mm. 
No, it's it's funny, isn't it, how like some kind of difficulty can be ignored in that kind of context and then it can manifest in a way that's like seems like, oh, this kid's acting up, he's um he's you know, disobedient or, or whatever what have you, but actually there's this uh unaddressed issue going on. Yeah, man. And um and in sports too, how about sports? Like for me I was uh I never really liked team sports very much. I, uh, I, I, and I'm still like that now. I like um, martial arts and I like boxing mm. and I like um, hang gliding and I like, um, don't mind tennis, but they're, they're kind of one-on-one things and not, and not teams, team, uh, team sports because mm. I was no good at team sports. I couldn't play cricket or f- football very well because I would, couldn't catch the ball. Yeah, yeah, I had the same thing and the same reason my not catching it was a motor skill uh, issue rather than a vision, right. but um, yeah, no. So I did not enjoy team sports. I avoided them like the plague in primary school. Okay, so we're going to cut to another musical interlude now that uh, mentions fighting, which we're going to talk a little bit about when we come back. Never 
Okay, we just had Portis Head with Rhodes from the 1994 album Dummy, which came out the year that I was created, 1994. And, John, that song features the line about fighting. Now, there was a culture of fighting when you were um, a young bloke, when you were a young boy. Well, Bruce Lee. <laughs> Bruce Lee hit the cinemas when I was a young kid. This was in the 70s. Um, and there was actually... Uh, um, the Vietnam conflict was happening um, when I uh, moved to Singleton, which was an army base where my dad was posted. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of fighting. I was surrounded by this um, this theme of fighting. Mm. Um, and even in the, the films and stuff that I watched were lots of war films and war movies and war comics and... Uh, and I actually uh, like to fight. I learnt that I like the competitive aspect of uh, wrestling, and um, and I was, did get into a lot of fights when I was a kid uh, in the schoolyard. How about you? Did you get into any fights? Um, cuffs? No, I was more just like wantonly violent to people, <laughs> um, but it wasn't like a back and forth kind of fight. Um, but uh, as I got older, I grew out of that. Um, but, uh, so John, what, um, when you were a kid, what was some of your experiences of people other than your peers who, uh, fit into that, that outsider status? Yeah. Outsiders, besides feeling like one myself, I guess you look for, um, as I said, I, I kind of sat with outsiders, but I can remember actually the first job I ever had was at the show, a singleton show. And it was like a, you know, there were lots of rides, the Ferris wheel and the, the hot dog. I got a, a job in it selling hot dogs and I was working for this dude and his weird little, um, I think it was his grandson. He was too old for him to be his son, I think, maybe not. But this kid was bizarre. He was like a, a man in a little kid's body. And um, I just remember, I remember these these carny people basically they owned all the rides and how different they seemed from anybody else I'd ever met before um, and they definitely seemed like outsiders to me although I didn't know where they came from <laughs> mm. they've got their own little world don't they um, I uh, remember when the school would set up for the fair day and so this external uh, group of carnies would come in and I remember there was a guy uh, running the different rides and he had his little son with him and it did make me think about um, the difference between me and this boy because he was from a seemingly lower economic bracket than than myself and the, the neighborhood that, that I was growing up in so that made me consider oh this is a dad but he's got a job that where it seems like more fun and something childlike about the world in which he's operating so yeah that, that economic factor that um that builds walls and uh creates <laughs> creates tribes and societies of people i guess i i went to a um gps boarding school i got sent there when i was 15 from the army base 
Um, and that was a very weird experience because the predominant kind of vibe there was an elitist vibe. There's kind of us and the plebeians out there, the, um, which I actually didn't feel part of, and I didn't come from that at all. My my dad was not <laughs> particularly well off. I got in there because he was an Anglican minister, so... Um, that's how come he got me in at a mm. discount to that place. Otherwise, I never would have went there. And that's another kind of world, isn't it? The upper strata, the more elitist, as you say. And um, the high school that I went to, you could say that it was a school for outsiders, a high school, a very small high school for people who were... You lucky dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In some respects, but in other ways, it's sort of socially limiting because when you're going to a school with a lot of people who have a hard time fitting in. In some ways, you can be deprived of uh, developing the kind of relationships that, in a sort of ideal fantasy of adolescence, one would want to be developing. What do you mean? There's uh, so many special people there that you all had trouble sort of interacting? or Yeah, just getting things together to um, have those. Well, for one thing, it's like in a small school, your options are fundamentally limited uh, as far as um, who you interact with. So that's one aspect of it. Um, but uh, no, it's interesting the way that that was when I became aware of something that I want to get into perhaps more uh, in the third episode, but the way in which people can embrace an outsider status and cultivate an identity around that. And that certainly popped up more with the new uh, mental health classifications as you were saying before and so it's interesting it's like a flip side of it is like the the embracing of an outsider status and and letting your freak flag fly so john did you do much fighting when you were a kid yeah i um i did a lot of fighting i enjoyed um the comp the competitive aspect of uh, physical challenge. Um, so I actually did, it's kind of s sporty really, but I just it wasn't very good at team sports because of my low vision. And um, I remember there was one kid in particular um, who kind of got it as far as the um, f having a fight without hurting each other. Um, in a martial, in a martial arts sense, um, he was the son of the local Chinese restaurant owner. <laughs> His name was Victor, and he actually was not my friend to start with because I started. Uh, I can't remember how I started fighting with this guy, but we would have these mammoth uh, kind of wrestling um, tournaments <laughs> where we would both be have all our buttons ripped off and um but i gained his respect in the end and he actually owned a motorbike and that's another thing that i got right into was um racing bikes and i bought um a, a motorbike off him and he became my good friend so riley the iconic savior the lone maverick um in our often appears in our stories and our storytelling did you come across any of these characters um, in your childhood well the 
I grew up in uh, on a diet of Disney animation movies and the Warner Brothers cartoons, and very different, but the characters that I gravitated towards more so than the archetypal hero was the villains. Certainly in Disney movies, the villains, they seemed to be the most relatable because of their passions, because they're driven by these desires, and they have this intense kind of emotionality about them. And as a kid, I definitely felt um, sympathy towards them and uh, in engagement with them, more so than the more heroic characters. I mean, to use a more comedic example in the Looney Tunes cartoons, the Roadrunner Coyote thing, like the Roadrunner's just running away, he's doing his thing, he's living in the moment, so to speak, but the Coyote does all this planning, he invests all this time and energy into creating these contraptions and devices to satiate his hunger. So it's that hunger wanting aspect to these characters that, that drew me to them more so than the hero. Yeah. And the lines, they get blurred as well because sometimes these heroic figures are actually criminals um, like Robin Hood Mm. uh, who was the champion of the poor people, but he was criminalized by the society that he he interacted with. Mm, that's right. So this outsider archetype, it can be a hero and a villain, and we'll cover this in more detail next week. Now, John, you have a song for us. Is this a, an original composition? Indeed it is. It's something I wrote all on my lonesome. And we'll be back next week with more on this topic. And in the meantime, we're wishing you all blue skies. Blue skies. I'm just waiting for some blue skies. Blue skies. You're listening to People Powered Radio, proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The Community Broadcasting Foundation resources community-owned and operated media stations just like this one that connect people and tell vital local stories so that we all enjoy a more vibrant, inclusive Australian culture and healthy democracy. Find out more about our work at cbf.com.au.
I'm a 